So because I'm in marketing, I know I regularly get like because we place ads in print publications, it's not uncommon for the publishers of those publications to send me like that month's print ad, like cut out, like here's for your records. So I thought that's what I was receiving when I got an envelope with a with one of our ads from Metro New York folded up inside. It's like a free thing on the subway. And uh, I pulled it out and I unfolded it and it was all, but the envelope was handwritten. And when I pulled it out, the ad had just like scrawlings all over it. So some lunatic saw our ad, pulled it out and wrote a whole bunch of like politically insane stuff on it and then flipped it over. And the stuff that wasn't even about us, they continued to make comments as if they assumed (laughs) everything in this publication was about us. They made, they, they doodled racist things on a picture of a black family they like made fun of the hair and the appearance of the people and they just had stuff about trump and god and it was insane and they they took the time to mail this not to me personally i would be very freaked out if that was the case but it was just generically sent to us and because it was an ad it ended up on my desk people are bedeviled sometimes yeah Welcome to the 50th episode of our podcast. That is so exciting. Yeah. What was the actual start date? Do you recall? Um, oops. No, I do not. Let me see. Uh, Doesn't really matter. I'm going to eat some Easter candy, though. Will you look that up? So, yeah, the first episode was like a, a chat thing. Right. You know, I, review, kind of I reviewed Greta. I remember that. Right. <laughs> It, that was that the very first one, or was that the first inaugural episode? I think it was the first one. Yes, Greta, you're right. Star, Greta, Stars Born, Spielberg mm-hmm. versus Netflix. Oh, yeah, Star is born. It was March 5th, 2019, so it has been over a year since we started. All right, well, good job, us. We did it. We still have that one five-star ra- uh, rating and review. And, did uh, you do that? taking that away from us. I haven't done it yet because I'm just so busy, and I have podcasts are such a burdensome thing that I'm I'm on the hook for so many of them but I've actually started to feel the urge to go I have enough distance from some of those early podcasts that I want to listen to them I want to go back and see what we said and oh, I've always enjoyed it I've always enjoyed yeah, you're, it you're an avid listener I am I was I sometimes listen a couple times a week wow it's hard for me I don't know I always anything with myself I, I don't do well listening to it again until I have enough distance and time I think I would prefer re-experiencing a conversation with someone who I like than having conversations with other people who sure. I like yeah, less. That's true. So it's just kind of like having conversations with three friends throughout the right. course of the week, except it's just the one. I always assume that everything I said was laughable and ridiculous and cringeworthy. And then I'm like relieved and delighted when it was fine. Oh, it's always much better than I think. Yeah. So I have, let's see, I think I I saw a bunch of stuff, but when it comes to what's like ready for the podcast, I think I have two major streaming reviews. Uh, We may have seen one or two of them also the same. And then I saw maybe a couple of side things that I'll mention, but I know we both saw, I see you. And I believe we both saw Tiger Tail. Yes. Uh, Do you have anything else? I watched Tiger Tail just today. Ah. I watched The Boy. The Boy, that's right. Because you wanted to see The Boy too, and had to do your homework. Because I wanted to see The Boy too, and 
I didn't want to be lost is or confused. Is that the one with Katie Holmes, The Boy 2? I discovered, yes, it is. Okay. But I did not watch The Boy 2. We're going to have to wait for episode 51 to hear about that. Mm-hmm. But I, I watched The Boy to understand the backstory. And do you feel equipped and ready and excited? Yeah, I, love it. I mean, do you want to talk about The Boy? I'll do that. You can give us the, 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 the quick skinny on The Boy. D- oh, timing me now. Okay. Oh, no, no. So 20- Take your time, please. <laughs> you can do it quickly. <laughs> We're talking the boy on Boy Talk. So podcast. it's a 2016 horror-ish film directed by William Brent Bell. And it stars Lauren Cohen, who I guess is an actress of some note, but I don't feel like I really know who she is. Hi, Dan. This is Josh editing the podcast later. I meant to interject here and say that Lauren Cohen is well known for her appearance on The Walking Dead, the television series that everybody liked until they didn't. And Rupert Evans. Here's what's going on. It's the age old plot where a nanny has been hired for this country estate in England to look after a child the parents who are very aged for some reason um we come to find out why but they are going away they need someone to look after their child and she's just alone in this house it's not like a house with many people and she discovers that the boy is brahms who is a kind of a ventriloquist dummy sized doll and she kind of laughs at first but then she realizes the couple's deadly serious about this being their child and she needs to watch Brahms and go through the ablutions of his daily life with him. And in the house, weird things happen and Brahms only when she's not looking kind of moves around the room or hassles her. And she thinks that there's some sort of a spiritual thing going on here because she comes to discover that the real Brahms died in a fire at the age of eight or so. And then this doll appeared and the parents took it as a sign that their son was still with them. So I don't think it's a spoiler now with all these years later. And because we're going to be looking at the boy next boy two next week, that Brahms didn't die in the fire and is now a young man who just lives in the walls and terrorizes her. But why is the big spoiler reveal of the end of that movie? Correct. Right. Yeah. But why? Right. <laughs> why does he live in the walls? Because <laughs> he didn't see it coming. He Brahms, frankly, and I don't know, understand why she resisted Brahms, because then when he showed himself, he like wanted to be with her. And he wears a mask. I don't know if he was burned in the fire, and that's why he wore a mask, but it didn't. Re- the movie didn't reveal that, or if he just wore a Brahms mask because he likes to. And so here we've got this guy. Oh, by the way, the parents died by suicide while they were away. And so Brahms has now inherited this lovely estate and a bajillion dollars. And frankly, Brahms is hot. So (laughs) she should have at least considered it, (laughs) you know, but instead she's just like terrified and trying to get away. Mm. And in the end, the the doll is destroyed, but Brahms glues it back together. And now we'll see what happens next. <laughs> uh, I, I have information about what happens next, but I no, won't. I guess no, I won't. don't do that. Spoilers on this podcast? No, I know. <laughs> no. So anyway, four stars. Okay. 
I can't believe creepy doll movies are still a thing. Well, America is a failed state, as we know. (laughs) And we're creatively bankrupt. And as I was watching Tiger Tail today, I thought, I think white people can be done making movies. (laughs) Because there actually are good stories out there, good filmmaking, emotional resonance that still does exist in the world, just not really here. Yeah, maybe we just need to take a little break making making all the movies all right what's first tiger tail or i see you um let's do i see you that's the order i saw it okay i'm eating a jelly bean delicious unless it's black well some of them are black but that one that i ate wasn't just now all right so i see you 2019 american horror yeah i'll give it a horror i was terrified Film yep. written by uh, Devin Gray, directed by Adam Randall, and starring Helen Hunt. Yay. The, the elusive Helen Hunt. So we have this couple who is uh, recovering after an affair, and they have a teen son who's resentful of his mother. And very strange things are happening around the house. And we're not sure if the son is responsible for some of it, or if there's a supernatural element that's going on. And then about midway through the movie, you know, boom, everything changes. And we make some new discoveries. And we, and the timeline shifts, and we're able to see events we've already seen from another point of view that sh- let us know that everything was not what we thought. But this film was successful in that it was not, just then looking at the other person's point of view, there was still yet more to be learned than just the other side of the wall, shall we say. I And I really was taken with it. I thought this was a very scary movie that yeah. uh, was effective in what it was trying to do. Yeah, I really like it and admire it. I don't think I don't think either of us think that everything lands or works, but it's so much of it does. And I really don't love movies that are built wholly on you know misdirection and twists. Usually, if if that's the whole, you know, you can put some twists in there, but when the whole movie is like a twist exercise, it's very hard for that to be satisfying. And I thought this movie was very well thought out and the things that it asks us to rethink a lot of times that stuff get it doesn't work for me because i'm like well the new context works better than the old or whatever and this movie's got a really clever hook and uh it takes a while to warm up to it so the first half of the movie it opens very much i thought with like a uh, stephen king kind of pastiche where you've got the small town. I guess this is Ohio. Is that where this is taking place? I don't know if it was Uh, Ohio, but you're right. I thought the same thing about Derry on the way in. Yeah. you got a a small town, picturesque little town where children have been going missing, and there's this sense of dread. And then we immediately focus into a family with very identifiable, if very intense, uh, interpersonal issues, domestic issues. And then it's, you know, and then they're, trying to solve the, the 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 it seems at first as if the supernatural ickiness surrounding the town is seeping into this house maybe because mm-hmm. of their divisions maybe because of their dark secrets or whatever and that's sort of true but without uh again we're the we're the no spoiler uh, we have the no spoiler promise here on on holds up all I'll say about 
the change in the middle is that the perspective on the supernatural stuff changes quite substantially. And I was a little disappointed at first and it took me a while to get on board. I didn't like what started happening until it hinted and then began to lead into more and more. And then it is even more gripping. I thought than it was at first. Yeah. It seemed like they were going to abandon the whole plot about the missing kids, that that had just been a part of a story that we weren't telling anymore. Um, and then yeah. it was, weaved back in and to me uh you know incredulous but successful way i understand where they're going with it yeah um at some and sometimes when you're looking at the same events happening through another lens that can get really tedious for me because you already know what's going to happen but this to me it it built the drama because you know more than any of the characters know because you've seen it from another perspective um, like when someone is hanging out someplace and you know that they're about to be discovered or threatened, but they don't know. And you already know that because of what you've seen before. I thought right. that that really, really built the the dread as well as understanding who is good and who is bad in, in yeah. the story. I think that they were able to make a lot of different people scary based on different um, information. And there were various twists about characters uh, one that I sort of saw coming. I'm not saying I figured it all out, but I saw one thing coming. And then there's an ultimate last twist, which I did not see coming. And we've, we've had a discussion about that, but maybe best to leave that. Um, characters are recontextualized frequently in this movie. And that's a big, big risk to take uh, violently kind of, you know, playing with people's allegiances or understanding. But um, I got to give them a lot of credit that this movie uh, has legs to stand on as much as it does. Yeah, to me, it was a really hard screenplay, and it worked about as well as it could. Yeah. If you can just suspend that disbelief. There's one th little thing, a nitpicky thing, that in hindsight, I realize doesn't, still doesn't make sense. Because all the things that you think are supernatural get some kind of perspective on them. I'm not going to say they get explained. I'm not going to say what happens. You get perspective on them. There's just one thing in the very opening scene, the boy in the green jacket that we see get abducted mm -hmm. he goes flying into the air right and that's one thing that does not get recontextualized or explained for the entire rest of the movie and it's a little weird to me they they show like some fishing line or something that was like a trip wire for his bike oh really but like later or in that scene later, later. oh okay right maybe i missed something we discovered that in the in the woods but that still doesn't explain what you're talking about because that very dramatic right. ejection from the bike right. to me would not be caused by a, a trip wire. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Un uh, playing that a little bit smaller and still giving it an, an, an mm -hmm. eerie, otherworldly sense might have worked a little better. Yeah, he ascends with Christ. That was, right. no, yeah. was no bike accident. Right, right. But that is, that is a nitpick. The movie is, actually has a really deft hand. All right, so I see you. It's, uh, I believe it's free on Prime. Um, mm, yeah. Give it a look. And then Tiger Tail just came out on Friday on Netflix. And I think the buzz is pretty substantial around this one. So listeners may have heard about it. This is the directorial, the featured directorial debut of a fellow named Alan Yang. He wrote and directed this very personal story. 
He, uh, though, has a lot of TV writing and directing experience, having worked on shows like um, Parks and Recreation, and he co-created Master of None on Netflix with, why can't I remember his name? It's been so long that I can't remember. Aziz Ansari. Aziz. Oh, my goodness. Sorry, Aziz. Or am I? So he's worked largely in comedy, although his, his comedy always has had a kind of dramatic edge to it, especially Master of None. There were some episodes of that that were straight up... Uh, leaning you know more to the drama side of things and this is a story about um a taiwanese uh factory worker who uh leaves his homeland to seek an opportunity in america where he struggles to find connection while balancing family and newfound responsibilities in a multi-generational drama so i actually don't uh i know this is an extremely personal story for yang but i have not uh actually heard him lay out like if th- is this his grandfather is this his father is he is the daughter angela is she the stand-in for for alan i'm i'm actually not sure but essentially this is about a uh, a man who has many 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 regrets he left the girl he loved to move to america with a girl he did not love for the opportunity of doing so it was a major uh, disappointment. His American dreams did not come true. He ended up working in a convenience store, uh, which he eventually took over and ran. His wife left him out of their rather loveless marriage, and he has a daughter with whom he never really connects. And the movie is about processing those regrets on the occasion of his mother's death. But he, the mother doesn't pass away before he moves. No, I'm talking about in the in the the present day uh, aspect oh, of see, the movie. So it's very confusing. He moves to America. He then, when his wife leaves him, he moves back to Taiwan mm. at some point. And then, when his mother dies in Taiwan, he right. moves okay. back to America. His daughter, who's doing uh, pretty well for herself in America, sets him up with an apartment. And it's very awkward between the two. And essentially, uh, without giving too much away, the movie involves him slowly uh, divulging parts of his story which have not been known uh for the benefit of his relationship with his daughter and for us the audience watching the movie and this is a lovely movie this is an amazing movie i really enjoyed it i thought it was great to look at the tone and the the angst that the uh, protagonist experiences to me was super relatable I don't feel like I'm that old, but I feel like this is a movie that I enjoy more now than I would have if I were like 10 years younger, because there's just stuff that happens in life and you carry it with you. And sometimes you open up about it, but mostly you don't. And um, the all the images of isolation and the way that he and his daughter are both very much alike, but at the same time, that thing that they have in common is what keeps them apart. Little things like how he has the discount dish soap that he's washing his dishes with and it flashes to her washing dishes and she's got the Myers there with that nice white backsplash and just kind of the difference of where they come from and what their day-to-day life is I I thought was striking throughout I I just I really enjoy this movie a lot yeah yeah it's really um the themes of regret and uh, I, I I thought it was just mounting this unbearably tragic story, but then it becomes quite sweet and it is it's very bittersweet. But um, yeah, it really came together for me as a story and as a movie. Um, 
in the last act. And um, uh, in the second segment, I'm going to tell you why I'm so scatterbrained. Um, okay. Good. I liked how um, he can't be reasoned with. He's basically taken everybody out of his life and isolated himself because he's not really a functioning member of society until he's able to uh, reconnect with his daughter a bit. But I love how his ex-wife can give him a call and get through to him in very few words. Like those people in your life who just know you so well that you just listen to. Yeah. I, I liked that moment. And I liked the relationship that he had with both of the women, even though his relationship with his uh, wife, then ex-wife, wasn't uh, one of you know passion or, or romance or much care. I don't feel he mistreated her. They just were on, you know, different paths under one roof. I, 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 just, I don't know. I just felt like it was pretty rich and multi-layered, and it took very everyday movie circumstances, like uh, the journey to another country for opportunity, or a marriage falling apart because he works too much, or something like that, and made it seem very human and very real when it could have just been devices of plot yeah and it looks like it's going to be a very exotic international story and so you prepare yourself for kind of a culture clash or to learn about something and yeah it does have that really beautiful taiwanese setting and you do it it gives you an opportunity to empathize and think about some aspects of you know the immigrant experience and all those things but like you say it is ultimately about extremely relatable human experiences and uh regret and the idea that, you know, it's not too late as long as you're up and breathing to um, address your regret and to uh, revisit things or to reach out or to connect or to tell your story. And uh, I found that very, very, very moving. Yeah. To me, it just needs to be seen and people yeah. are watching it. Yeah. And uh, I think Alan Yang is definitely one to watch. This is a nice uh, debut. Did you ever have you watched any of Master of None? Yeah, I watched, I think. I don't know if they've made new ones, but I think I watched two seasons worth. Yeah, I think that was it. I think it was two seasons. Kind of uneven and weird, but really, really excellent. Yeah, like really, kind of really good. Raised the bar for comedy shows, for sure. Uh, really dramatically, actually, between season one and two, actually. Because season one was kind of just like vignettes based on the life of Aziz Ansari. And then somehow in season two, it suddenly is like, you know, international film. Uh, oh, yeah. Very, very different, but both good. Uh, Lena Waithe, too, uh, involved, mm-hmm. at least as a performer. I don't know if she was uh, writing or doing anything. But anyway, uh, okay. Anything else that we saw this week before we take a break and get to our feature? No. All right. So then let's take a break and we'll come back and we'll talk about the curious case of Benjamin Button. Welcome back uh, on our 50th episode. Dan, you picked the movie. And what was that winning film? Uh, I wouldn't give it that adjective, but I picked The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. This is not picked because it's a favorite of mine. I picked it because I almost forgot what it was even about. 
I can't separate it from the awards derby that year. It was the same year as Slumdog, which was my horse. And everybody loved that movie and it just won everything. So I think I looked at Benjamin Button with really critical eyes because that was, you know, the threat to how I wanted the season to go. And I feel like I maybe arrived at the theater late. I have a strange memory of that, that I hadn't quite seen everything at the beginning to get a sense of um, what happened. But it doesn't really matter because I watched it and realized I didn't remember a moment from it. So it might as well have been a a first watch for me. Quick uh, plot synopsis. Benjamin Button is born an old man and gets younger and younger until he dies an infant. And he lives a a life of, I don't know, it's not wonder and and infamy, but it's a pretty full life near the... uh, I guess it's the beginning of the 20th century into mid-century or late century, really. Does it kind of span the whole 20th century in the end? Yeah, Yeah, it does. Pretty much. Anyway, Brad Pitt stars as uh, Benjamin Button and Kate Blanchett co-stars as a person who he meets when she is a young girl and he is what appears to be an old man, but really young on the inside. And they meet in the middle of their ages And they have a child together, but he realizes that as he's getting younger and younger, he's not going to be able to be a father to this child. And he leaves and then deals with some of that, some of those results. And ultimately, she cares for him when he is very young and she is very old. And that's my synopsis. Yeah, so I... um... I remember this movie. Uh, I was not a fan of of this movie, and probably sort of on like principled reasons, even before I saw it. Much like you, right? Um, whereas I just was so put off by the premise, and that it was kind of this schmaltzy special effects movie. Uh, I should say I am a big fan of of uh, David Fincher, but he's probably the director I most admire of whose films I really, really like the fewest. <laughs> like, I really love his aesthetic. I love his attention to detail. I love the way that he makes films. Um, and when it's something like Zodiac or maybe even The Social Network, uh, I think they can be transcendent. I think his movies are so good. They can be so good. But there's many, many of his movies that are just not my cup of tea, like his, his Alien 3. Uh, I'm not a huge Fight Club fan. Um, and the things that he kind of does for hire, like uh, Gone Girl and The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, I thought were okay. But they were a little bit below, actually, his level of artistry. This one is baffling to me because uh, the treatment of it, given its premise, to me is, is what's... Ba- everything about this movie is baffling. So I must I know that I must have read Roger Ebert's review at some point. Mm-hmm. I didn't reread it until I finished watching the movie last night. This is by the way why I'm so I'm having trouble talking about other movies is because I watched this pretty late last night and I have been thinking about only this movie all day mm-hmm. to come up with what it is I want to say about it because I it's complicated how I feel and think about it. So uh, having to take a break and turn and talk about another movie proved to be more than I could muster today. <laughs> so Ebert's big take on this movie is the premise doesn't work. You can't empathize with someone who's experiencing something that a human can't experience. Um, I would take it a step further and say, 
it also just doesn't really matter because he still goes through immaturity, maturity, and then, you know, ultra maturity and, uh, like losing his faculties and he still experiences a life that gives him wisdom. And I, I don't know what the thing is that you're so, I don't know what, what about the premise I'm supposed to come away with in terms of lessons. I'm getting to like big, big picture stuff when we haven't even really picked the movie apart much to me, the schmaltzy kind of forest gumpy treatment to this material. I would have preferred a birth style, you know, psychological thriller about the horrors of what this experience and this movie taps into those things a little bit but just the fact that there's always some cutesy old timey scene or wherever he is there happens to be like a a space shuttle taking off in the background or it's it's world war ii behind him or he's riding on a motorcycle looking like marlon brando the kind of american fable nature of the of the movie is so weird to me i i don't know what to do with this movie dan yeah the big picture stuff really is the thing to talk about because this is something that doesn't happen and you can't step outside of that. And I agree with you that it doesn't matter. I understand that in the short story it's based on, he comes, uh, he is born five foot eight, an old man who knows how to talk and read and jumps right into life. And though that's Absurd, silly, but the story works better. Yeah. But the story works better. The idea that he has to go through infancy and childhood in the body of an old man, basically, then it doesn't make sense why when he's young, he's experiencing dementia when he, you know, appears young. I mean, why he should be healthier than ever when he's 12 or or internal life is the same as a human's. So what's the difference? Right. I think that if they were going to do and yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just baffled by this too. And why does it matter? And why is it against Hurricane Katrina, I was, which is a choice that I'm not entirely against, by the way, because as I'm watching the scenes that it's then flashing back to, from or to, I don't know, where uh, Julia Ormond is learning who her father is by way of her dying mother's diaries, and there's an impending hurricane, and we know it to be Katrina. There's, I'm thinking, why is it this? Why are we even having this device to narrate and frame the story. Why not just do it more Forrest Gumpy and have him narrate his own life from beginning to end? Why this other piece that we're jumping back and forth to? But I kind of ended up liking those scenes and liking that there's a hurricane that is building in force and ultimately going to overwhelm that hospital. I don't know why I liked it, but I did. I just wanted to know what the point was, and I I tried really hard. I didn't go into this with a bad attitude. I took my Criterion Collection Blu-ray of this movie I don't like off of my shelf, and I put the subtitles on, and I paid attention, and I watched the whole thing, and I really wanted to give it room in my heart. And there's things I like. I like um, Jared Harris. I like um, Taraji B. Hansen, and Mahershala Ali is in there, pre-blow-up Mahershala. I couldn't believe it. um, Which is great. And... um, so many interesting things going on, but I don't know what the point is. And yeah, I would have liked to have seen more of childlike old man and wise little kid. And I, mm-hmm. like you said, I feel like as soon as he was a kid, as soon as he's a kid actor, they give him dementia and he's, he's, he's checked out. Those scenes could have had some kind of poignancy. There could have been something going on there 
where you it could have been really powerful to see a, a small child reflecting on a life lived and less you know wisdom gained but instead all that's taken away and it's just it becomes bitterly tragic for no reason when you're when it's a fable and you're in charge of the way the story is told like that you don't have to be true to any uh history and even the 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 source material is is a short story so you can do whatever you want i find the choices of this movie really 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 confusing right how about this for an ending how about she suffers from dementia and he as an apparent 12 year old five-year-old understands this and sweetly cares for her in old age Mm -hmm. and then when she reverts to infancy that is when Julia Ormond can then care for him as the father she never knew. Mm-hmm. I could see something like that. Yeah, yeah. Making a little more sense. Right, right. I mean, there's, we haven't even mentioned Tilda Swinton, who has a whole arc right. in the center, which yeah, I so guess I is like to teach him the way of ways of love right. and refinement. There's like set pieces where Jared Harris is the tugboat captain who teaches him about being a man, and Tilda Swinton teaches him about uh, I don't know, being a lover, or yeah. Whatever, yeah. But again, I wanted to feel like these were following some kind of a bigger pattern, or there was some kind of. It just felt like let's just play, and I, I, I don't know. The the stuff to me that has the most emotional impact is the stuff in the middle where they're both hot and they right. hook up and they get married, and then there's that kind of fear of what's going to happen. But to me, you didn't need the premise to feel that stuff. I'm middle aged now. I the stuff about the fleetingness of youth and beauty and whatever. I get that without. I don't see how the reversal of his aging makes any of that more poignant. Right. I guess in those scenes, I appreciated the heartbreak that this can't last. Where if you're on the same trajectory, both right. getting older, you can grow old together, but you know you won't be able to do that. And the idea of leaving this woman that you love and leaving a daughter because you just know what's going to happen to you was kind of a heart-wrenching thing dramatically, even though that wouldn't happen in life, except maybe by way of an illness. But even with an illness, he'd stick around. Um, Right. He thought that he was doing what was best, and maybe it was. I don't know. Because what would happen? They're going to grow old, and suddenly she's married to a child? I mean, that that doesn't... That doesn't work in life. I revisited the trailer for the movie and boy, it makes it look like tree of life or something. It's like, it's wordless. It makes it look like an art film. Um, But it also, the tagline is life can only be understood in reverse. And I doesn't make any sense. I know. What? I don't know. I, um, I really wanted to get it. I was really trying and wondering if something wasn't clicking for me. Here's something I want to say, and this is probably something that I missed if indeed I was late on my first viewing, was the myth at the beginning of the of the movie about the guy who makes the clock that goes backwards. I thought that that was kind of poignant, the idea um, for a town who had lost so many men in the war, the idea if time could move backwards and they could all be back and have the chance to live life. But what was the association Right. His time. Yeah. Benjamin's time isn't running backward only in terms of his physical appearance, is it? Right. He's not he's not an old man who, say, died that day and got a chance to relive the seasons of his life in reverse. That's not what happened to him. 
And it seems like maybe in the original story you could do that. Maybe that's more what's going on. But it would be very hard to dramatize that over the length of a long movie of like, oh, well, I'm really wise right now, but I'm going to be a little less wise tomorrow. They didn't even try anything like that. They just went right mm-hmm. from wisdom to dementia. Um, there was no there was no ticking clock except that he wasn't going to be physically viable and it wouldn't be appropriate for him to be with Daisy anymore. And his wisdom was spent journeying the world right? as a lost person. It was, it was wasted, which is yeah. kind of a shame. I would feel that if you could have the wisdom of age in a body of youth, you might do something with that. But instead, that was like montage time right, to get right. him to dementia. And he had to be mothered at the beginning for a long season which doesn't make sense, really, though I love Taraji P. Henson and her right. presence there. It didn't make sense in the story. Yeah. This was a craft movie, I guess. Yeah. It won Oscars for its production design and makeup. Um, a lot has happened in the industry. Right. And uh, visual effects. So that seemed to be where, kind of how people uh, mm-hmm. categorized this movie in the end. Yeah, it, it seems like this is just a... a craftspeople showcase right. of a movie and david fincher in one sense is is the right director because he is very good at sweep and very good at detail at the same time um i just know i it never feels like the subject matter is coming from the heart of david fincher it always feels like he's crafting something someone else wrote and he's doing his best to to bring someone else's vision to a film i can't think of of what i would call a personal david fincher movie yeah, I don't know his filmography well enough. Zodiac is my favorite by far, but even that is just kind of procedural and, you know, trying to make a very thorough and interesting movie out of this weird cold case. Mm-hmm. Um, people love Fight Club, and he put a whole lot of, of his personality, I think, into that movie. But again, it's based on a crazy novel, so it's not something that a story that he is dying to tell. It's just adapting this work. I don't know. Um in the end, I uh, I tried really hard to appreciate this movie, and I guess I appreciated it more than I did before. But I don't, I come away basically empty-handed. Yeah, I appreciated it a lot more than before, and that's not to say that I liked it. But for the however many minute running time, I felt like I was sitting there enjoying the visuals, enjoying the uh, the familiar lull. <laughs> of movies like that with the quiet narration and the lifetime of experience. And I I think that now being a little bit older than I was when I first saw it, I can appreciate some of that uh, joy and ache together and just sort of be like, well, look, I'm sitting in my home with the TV on and I'm watching this basically for free and experiencing this. There's worse things in life than this. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. Outside of, you know, just trying to decide immediately, is this worth the hype? Or what is this movie's place in this year's awards race? Which I think can rob me of some of the joy of just watching a movie. Uh, running out of details to pick at, but what do you think about the, um, what's the significance of the hummingbird? Because at first I thought the hummingbird that he sees uh, out to sea was just kind of like the soul of, of the, of captain, what's his name. But then the, it shows up again in Katrina. I didn't know if this right. was some sort of elegy about Katrina because boy, was that ever at the forefront? 
Yeah. I didn't yeah. really get what the connection was to Benjamin Button's story. Or that I thought that they were kind of telling a little fairy tale about that clock at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But then they're like, oh, but then in 2002, it got replaced and it's like right. a digital clock. And I'm thinking you left a clock up in a train station that just ran backwards all the time. You left right. that up for like a hundred years. Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem right. The movie kind of loads up on whimsy at the top and then yeah. drains out of it by the end. And then that clock's destruction is right. kind of what what is significant of Benjamin's own death, that the thing that works backwards is now going to be gone. Yeah. I didn't... I... It's extremely nitpicky, and it's not in the spirit of the way the story's being told. But again, I'm getting into the Ebert critique here. But you don't, you have liver spots because your skin has aged and because of time has ravaged you. I, I can't get past that. When his internal life is basically the same as any other person's experience, right. except for some difficult decisions you have to make because of your physical appearance as you get younger. I, all, all I can think about is how does your skin get more, you know, supple and soft and, and, and perfect the younger you get? It doesn't work. So there has to be something else that's going on for me to buy into that. And I don't, I, I don't, I don't find it. Yeah, there was too much mixing of the timelines because in some ways they make him old, in some ways they make him young. He should have just started completely an old man and we don't ask questions about that who is just de-aging for whatever reason. Right. And becomes like a boy to an infant, etc. Yeah, that's totally true. Because if you think about how American fables work, if they're trying to make an American fable like Paul Bunyan or something, then this old man was born and the day he was born, he lit up his pipe and he started reading, you know, Mark Twain or something like that is right. silly. But that's the way this kind of yarn would start. And then you'd have a starting point and you'd be winding down from there instead of he basically has a youth. He has to discover what things right. are. He's curious. He's he's rambunctious. Yeah. And then it makes me wonder about Katrina itself. What did Fincher think that disaster represented for the American psyche? Right. That it could be just if this is a parable or, or any sort of allegory, what anything represented or was supposed to mean wasn't put forth to me at all. Yeah. Right. And. Katrina is a natural disaster, but it's, you know, it, it had such an impact. And then the response and the uh, the, right. the aftermath is where things are, are very significant. But it certainly wasn't spelled out in any way why that was. Yeah. I, so there, you know, there's a David Fincher gives commentary. I don't know if I have the three hours <laughs> right. to, to give back to this movie, but maybe someday I'll be curious enough to see. I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure it's very technical. It might not reveal some of these thoughts, but uh I'd love to know. I would doubt is. it does because this was a movie of prominence. And if it's not widely known what the metaphor is here 12 years later or whatever, then it's it's not there. Yeah. All right, Dan. Well, that certainly was a uh, I'm not sorry that I revisited it. No. It's yeah. it's uh, lovely to watch. It's you know, it feels like a piece of culture that's worth uh, revisiting from time to time. Maybe I'll watch it when I'm even older and something will strike me and I'll 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 get it in a way that I haven't yet. But uh, it certainly was uh, gave us something interesting to talk about. It shouldn't be so much work. Right. If it was actually good. It doesn't take nine times to get it. Right, right. Yeah, sure. This might just be 
superficial. It might just not have a lot to say. Mm-hmm. And it thought that effects and, and, a, and a very unusual premise would be enough to carry it through. Yeah, I think they could have made a movie that was just as long, that looked very similar and had the same emotional highs and lows that didn't have this premise. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the life of an American dude. Yeah. In the 20, in the 20th century. It could have it would have been better than Forrest Gump. <laughs> yeah. At at the Forrest Gump game. <laughs> this has been our podcast. Uh we've been Dan and Josh. You can follow us both on Twitter and Letterboxd. When's the last time you logged into Letterboxd, Dan? I logged in uh, just this past week. Wonderful. Great. Not to post a review, but to sure. look through films that I'd seen in order to pick Benjamin Button. Right. Oh, wow. So <laughs> it really came through for you. Sure did. And the show is at Holds Up Pod on Twitter. Our music, as always, is by our buddy Jonah Rapino. Got to get him on some week. Talk about his favorite movies. And uh, thanks so much for listening. 50 episodes in. I know there's some of you listening. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And uh, we're going to keep at it because we like watching movies and we like talking about movies. And why not record it and put it someplace? (laughs) That's our tagline. Yeah. All right. Uh, Thanks, Dan. I wish you peace and grace. And also with you. Bye. So this is the story uh, primarily of one character named, is his name Grover? <laughs> How did I never pick up on that? Pinjui. Yeah. Yeah. Why does, why is IMDb calling him Grover? <laughs> <laughs> they really are. Did they mean grosser? Maybe. I don't know. No, but they've got Grover, <laughs> young Grover, <laughs> child Grover. <laughs> There's at least four Grovers in the listing. Wow.